One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. These stories contain distressing themes and often brief descriptions of violence against others or animals. This content is not suitable for children, and listener discretion is advised. On the evening of April 19, 1973, a cargo ship pulled slowly into Shoreham Harbour, a busy port five miles west of Brighton and four miles east of Worthing in West Sussex. Approaching port, the propellers stirred up the silt on the seabed, the water becoming dark and murky. Sailors watched on as something floated slowly to the surface, bobbing around just above the waterline. It was a body. Clothed in a leather jacket and denim jeans, a floral-embossed belt buckle catching the lights. As the body was hauled in, it was obvious that under the clothing, the torso was bloated after being in the water, but the head looked so small, sticking out from the collar of the jacket because it was just a skull. It had been stripped of all flesh, leaving just the skull, tiny in comparison to the rest of the body. My name's Benjamin Fitton from They Walk Among Us. Welcome to Murder Town, the podcast. Following each episode of Crime and Investigation's brand new true crime TV series, we'll explore another case right here. wrists were bound together with rope and beneath the trousers there were no feet. It was not until divers went down onto the barely visible seabed to search for evidence that they discovered leather boots, rope wrapped around the ankles and attached to concrete breeze blocks which had been placed in plastic bags. Inside the boots were the feet, or what was left of them. The body had originally been weighed down but when the ship stirred the water, the body shook clear of the concrete boots. In a pocket, a waterlogged and partly ruined copy of the book, A Maricot Deep, was found. The famous 1929 novel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle set in Atlantis, where the city drowned at sea and the characters escaping after being attacked by giant crustaceans. When forensic pathologist Dr Hugh Johnson carried out the post-mortem, it was found that the body was that of a male, likely in his late teens. He had been beaten, his wrists and ankles tied before he was weighed down and thrown into the water. The bloated torso with flesh still attached was still there under his clothing, but the parts of him that were exposed to the sea, his ankles, his hands, his head, had all been eaten away by crabs 
and other crustaceans. When a dead body enters the water weighed down, it does not go through the natural process of sinking and floating as other corpses do. Usually a body will sink when the air in its lungs is replaced with water. As gases are released into the body, it will become buoyant and float to the surface again. These processes still go on when a body is fixed to concrete boots, but it just isn't able to float up. The concrete also kept the corpse in closer proximity to the bottom feeders. Sea scavengers like crustaceans who feed on the sea floor. Crabs, shrimp and lobsters all willing to feed on human flesh. All of the exposed body parts eaten away to the bone. Once the skin and flesh was gone from the ankles, the legs could easily come away from the feet. Hence, when the ship stirred up the water, the body almost loose from the feet already, floated up to the surface. This is not uncommon. Feet in shoes do wash up on beaches. These floating feet, as they are sometimes called, are the result of natural processes the body goes through, breaking down and separating from the body in the water. The reason they have made it to shore is because usually the feet are stuck inside rubber shoes with buoyant soles. The post-mortem showed single-cell organisms called diatomes in his organs. This was a sign that he was alive when he was thrown into the harbour. Cause of death, drowning. Police, knowing that wearing a leather jacket may have linked him to a motorcycle gang, looked into the most famous gang at the time, the Hell's Angels, as well as some of the smaller groups they knew of. On the arm of the boy's body was a crude tattoo. Originally, they believed it said hate, but then established it was the initials H-A-C. This stood for the Hells Angels group called the Hells Angels Cougars, and soon an appeal was made for anyone from this group to help with the inquiry. Checking their records, police found that two months earlier, a 16-year-old known to police with a long criminal history had gone missing from St Albans in Hove, the lad Clive Olive was an unemployed kitchen hand who lived with his mum and brother. He had an extensive rap sheet of petty crimes and had been known to have accumulated six different aliases around town. With the reputation of shooting his mouth off, police worried the body may have been Clive's. They went to the streets and into the coffee shops that they knew he'd hung around, finding that Clive was well known and like many of the people they spoke to, had ties to local gangs and the local drugs trade. It was in these circles that police sometimes came across retaliation killings. It was not unheard of to find a body swimming with the fishes. People who knew Clive began coming forward to police and they soon discovered that he wasn't a member of the Hells Angels Cougars. He was running with a small Hells Angels offshoot group called the Mad Dogs. On the 28th of February, two months before the body was found, Clive Olive had disappeared. There was a missing persons report filed by his mum, but since then there had been no sign of him at all. In the coffee shops of Brighton, detectives heard that Clive did have a tattoo with the initials HAC matching the tattoo found on the body. People called Clive a tearaway, always scheming and getting into trouble, and although people saw him as a loner, he never seemed to have a shortage of girls. They also learned that Brighton Beach was the location Clive had been initiated into the Mad Dogs of Sussex. This group was often called the Poor Cousins of the Hells Angels, 
there were just over 20 members, most of which were teenagers or young adults who couldn't afford a motorcycle. Clive's initiation involved proving his toughness by fighting others from rival gangs. He also had to carry out a ceremony on the beach. In front of onlookers and the rest of the Mad Dogs, he was made to remove his t-shirt and jeans and then place them upon the stones on the beach. One by one, the members, both men and women, urinated on his clothing before he was made to put them back on and vow to never wash them. He was then awarded what they called his colours and he was indoctrinated into the Mad Dogs. This penchant for violence and humiliation was a part of everyday life for the members of these gangs. Drug calls gone bad, retaliations and vendettas seemed to be at the heart of nearly every story police heard. Authorities were convinced that the body belonged to Clive. People who knew him had also said that shortly before he disappeared, he seemed worried about something. Shoreham had become one of the most important channel ports as far back as the 12th and 13th centuries, but drifting banks slowed its progression because the river mouth would get blocked. Growing populations nearby in Brighton, Worthing, Kingston and Southwick in the latter part of the 1700s saw improvements made to the harbour and an influx of trade once again, growing Shoreham from the small town it was. In 1944, Shoreham Harbour became the departure point for troops in the D-Day landings in Normandy. Five miles along the coast, Brighton had long been famous for the arts, its fringe ideas, an offbeat community and progressive cultural acceptance. The Victorian era brought fashionable students to the Brighton School of Art and the already popular holiday resort became a sought-after destination for people seeking counterculture and a new movement. And with that, a history of tolerance was developed. With the University of Sussex came an enormous wave of students, many living bohemian lives, squatting and making do on almost nothing, something that became a badge of honour, something to be proud of. As low-cost housing sprung up in the 60s, parts of Brighton, once grand and elite, became dilapidated. Unemployment was high and anti-government use clashed with authorities and often each other. By the time 1973 arrived, that divide was just a part of life for the police. But discovering the body of a teenager killed in this way was still a great shock. The murder squad put 50 officers on the case. Lead Detective Chief Superintendent Jim Marshall, also the head of the Sussex CID, was famous for the unparalleled number of murder cases he solved during this time. Dubbed a super cop, that year alone, Marshall and his team solved 16 murders. Marshall made a statement to the press. We believe he knew people on the fringe of the drug scene. If anyone who has any knowledge of him comes forward we promise that whatever they tell us will be kept in the strictest confidence. Detectives from all over Sussex were brought in, and with a tip-off that a black van had been involved in Clive's murder, they went in search of the owner. Their theory, like everyone else in town, was that the young Clive Olive had fallen out with his gang. The last known place that Clive had been seen was at one of the coffee shops that he regularly visited. Police believe the murder was well planned and was very likely carried out by more than one person. 
even just to get Clive's body into the water with the breeze blocks would have taken considerable effort. Dozens of teenagers were brought in, especially those associated with both the Hells Angels and the Mad Dogs. They believed that peers of Clive's might talk, either deliberately ratting out on someone, or as more common with the young criminals, say something accidentally and incriminate themselves. There was a long list of people they wished to speak to, but they honed in on three who all lived together. They had loose ties to Clive, but they were involved with the Mad Dogs and the Hells Angels. 21-year-old Brian Stephen Moore lived with his parents in Pankhurst Avenue, Brighton. Also living there was his pregnant sister Christine, who's 18, and her husband Albert Dawn, 27, who went by Little Al or Mouse because of his small size. When detectives knocked on their door, they found a run-down flat. Inside on the walls were posters of the Hells Angels, swastikas and a portrait of Hitler. Brian Moore, a scaffolder and a part-time cleaner, said that they all knew Clive Olive, but only vaguely. They had overheard three members of the Hells Angels plotting to kill Clive, and he was scared because he had also heard his own name mentioned. Police were suspicious. They then discovered that his brother-in-law, Albert Dawn, had a black van. When they looked into Moore's story, police found that he had a 16-year-old girlfriend named Jane. She wanted him to settle down and leave the gang behind. On a drive one day, Jane had told him that a 16-year-old boy she was friends with from the Mad Dogs had raped her. After some arguing, Jane revealed the youth's name, Clive Olive. After this, Brian Moore went wild. After discovering Brian Moore's link to Clive, police brought Moore in again for questioning. Two senior detectives, one of which was Detective Sergeant Colin Taylor, went in with a plan to break him, and it didn't take long. When Moore realised that the police knew a lot more than they had originally let on, he cracked, grabbing the officer's arm and pleading with him, Please help me. You've got to help me, please. Then came the confession. He had never overheard three Hells Angels discussing Clive's fate, as those three people were himself, his sister Christine and his brother-in-law, Albert. Moore explained that the day his girlfriend told him about what Clive had done to her, he went into a rage, vowing revenge at its worst. He knew he was going to get him. He said that lone day in late February, he intercepted Clive on Church Road in Hove, promising him a drug deal if Clive got in Albert Dawn's black van. Once Clive got in the back, Moore began questioning him about Jane, and Clive began laughing and boasting about having sex with her. Moore lost his temper and started punching him, over and over, until he lost count quite how many times. Clive was screaming for him to stop, but it made Moore lose control even more. Then he noticed Clive's head had fallen forward. At that point, he grabbed his truncheon, which he was rarely without, and as he described to Detective Taylor, I lifted his head up with my truncheon, and his eyes were all staring. It was diabolical. He said those eyes still gave him nightmares. In the van's driver's seat sat Albert, the mouse Dawn, and next to him, Moore's 18-year-old pregnant sister, Christine. Albert and Christine were brought in for questioning. 
They too confessed that Moore was telling the truth. They were in the van. But Christine denied having any part in it. Albert had helped, but she had not. Albert had said that when Moore realised he needed to get rid of the body from the back of the van, Albert agreed to drive to the harbour. Moore argued that he didn't mean to kill him, but the police knew otherwise. They had discovered that in the lead-up to the attack, the men had stolen breeze blocks and rope from a building site. When they arrived at the harbour, Albert and Brian got out of the van, leaving Christine in the car and dragged Clive towards the water. They had bound his wrists and ankles and then attached concrete blocks to his feet and wrapped them in plastic bags. They did not check if he was alive or dead, but if he was alive, he would have no means of escaping. When Detective Sergeant Taylor asked Moore if he went out that night with the intention of killing Clive, he answered, I suppose so. He admitted that before the attack, the three of them had discussed how they would get rid of the body should Clive be killed. The two men pushed Clive into the water, watching him bob up and down for a few moments before his body sank down. When bubbles floated to the surface, both men, wondering if maybe there was still life in the team, walked away. When they got back to the van, they decided they should take another look, and when they returned to the water one last time, the bubbles were still coming up. Albert Dawn then admitted to being the one to take Moore's truncheon and dispose of it, along with a blooded carpet that had been left in his van. Following the confessions, all three were arrested, charged with murder and remanded in custody. After seven months in custody, on the 26th of November that year, 1973, Brian Moore, Albert Dawn and Christine Dawn stood trial at Lou's Crown Court in front of an all-male jury. The courtroom was filled with a small number of family, but mostly it was Hell's Angels and police who sat quietly, their eyes darting around the room at each other. Restrictions were placed on the reporting of the trial, and only small pieces of information got out through the press. All three defendants pleaded not guilty. Brian Moore admitted killing Clive, but pleaded diminished responsibility. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mr. Michael Easton QC described Clive Olive as a troubled teen. By no means an exemplary character himself, but one who did not deserve to be beaten within an inch of his life, bound, weighted, and left to drown. Brian Moore's defence counsel painted the picture of a man who, trying to protect his girlfriend and right a wrong, took his obsession too far. He nurtured an obsession with all the cunning of a maniac, and also he killed with the remorseless cruelty of a maniac. When Albert Dawn took the stand, he said that Christine went with him that night only because she did not want to be left alone. At that statement, Christine burst into tears in the courtroom. Christine, who had recently given birth to a son while awaiting trial, was helped into the dock by two policewomen. She denied that she was an unwilling participant. Instead, she said that she was there to make sure that Clive didn't run away. She was a part of the whole thing. After eight days and seven hours of deliberation, the twelve men of the jury returned with their verdict. It was unanimous. Brian Moore was found guilty of murder. 21-year-old Albert Dawn was found guilty of murder. 18-year-old Christine Dawn was found not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter. Mr Justice Thesiger spoke to the court. I feel sure that all three expected some harm to be done to Clive Olive and all knew that the gear required to dispose of his body was in the van before he entered it. I feel sure that nobody there that night really minded a bit whether Clive Olive lived or died when he was put into the water. He remarked that Christine's prior probation report showed that she had no one in her life to set an example or put her on the right road. As young as 10, she had been placed under supervision after being attacked by a friend's father, but even so, he had regarded her as a strong influence in the case. Both Brian and Albert were sentenced to life in prison. Christine Dawn was sentenced to 10 years. She was carried from the court crying and screaming. Almost a year to the day later, Christine's conviction was quashed by the Court of Appeals in London and she was freed. Brian Moore and Albert Dawn were later granted parole and released. Brighton continued on as an arts hub and a place of cultural tolerance and diversity. The social divide remained, as did the presence of the gangs. By the time Supercop Chief Superintendent Jim Marshall retired, he and his team would go on to solve over 100 murders in the area. I'm Catherine Kelly. 
host of Crime and Investigation's brand new true crime TV series, Murder Town. Thank you for joining me on my journey as I visited 10 UK destinations and uncovered 10 stories of murder in Murder Town. If you missed out, catch up while you have a chance on demand on Crime and Investigation and look out for more of our top true crime documentaries. For more information on the series, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk and let us know your thoughts by searching for Crime and Investigation on social media or using hashtag MurderTown. The Murder Town podcast is hosted by Benjamin Fitton, written by Anna Priestland, produced by Sam Pearson and Chloe Frost, with editing by James Colopy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.